Well, good morning, Summit. I am so happy to be with you this morning. And, and I've got a question for you guys. Just, just right out of the gate, I got a question. Have you ever experienced a moment of mistaken identity? Yeah, maybe, maybe somebody thought that you were somebody else, or maybe you thought that somebody you saw was somebody else. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, it's happened to me. And, and one time in particular was, was probably about a year ago on a Saturday morning at Costco, because I've reached an age now where Costco is where I'm supposed to spend my time on Saturday morning. And so, and so that's where I was. And while I'm there, I'm, I'm doing my normal routine. I'm checking out all of the things to see if there's anything that I need to take home with me. And, and in that process, I mistook some random woman for my wife. Um, <laughs> in my defense, I wasn't paying attention. I was really deeply focused on this, this display of 36 count microfiber cleaning claws. Now microfiber cleaning claws are awesome. There's so much that you can do with them. They pick up lint, you can clean TVs, you can clean cars. They're so great. And I saw them, I'm like, man, that looks like a good price. And so I did what all guys my age do when we see something we think is a good deal. I pull out my phone and I'm comparison, comparison shopping Costco against Amazon. As I'm doing this, there's, a, there's someone that comes up alongside of me, kind of like right into my peripheral vision. They're pushing a cart and they just stop there. A couple seconds later, I realize, hey, these are a good deal. And so I, I, I without looking up, just say, hey, this is a good price. Let's get some of these. <laughs> and at that point, that's when I hear the voice from like kind of over my shoulder go, huh? <laughs> and I realize... That's not my wife's voice, and I turn and, and look, and sure enough, that's not my wife's face either. Um, and so I freeze for a second, you know, microfiber cleaning cloths in hand, phone in the other hand, and I say, uh, sorry, I thought you were my wife, and I turn and walk away. Uh, now, most cases of mistaken identity, they're, uh, you know, they're harmless, right? They're, they're mildly amusing, mildly embarrassing, but have you ever mistaken your own identity? Have you, ever, have you ever thought that you had to be someone else? Have you, ever, have you ever been in a position where you've wondered who you really were deep down? How would you answer the question, who am I? Who am I is one of the core human questions. And the way that you answer it has, an, has, has a, such a deep impact on your life that, that we have invested, like OJ said, over a year in, in looking at this question. And we've invested weeks and weeks and weeks of, of, of bringing it in front of our students and having them wrestle with it. Part of that process, it was coming up with a definition of identity. And, and here's what we came up with. We, we said that identity is the story we tell about who we are. So when I asked you the question, who am I, just a minute ago, what popped into your head? What's the story that you tell about who you are? I'd be willing to bet that for most of you, that answer had something to do with something that you do. See, that's the common problem with the way we answer this question. Culture has trained us to, to, to answer the, the who am I question with statements about the things that we do. I am a, and then you fill in the blank with something that you do. This works in two general ways. The first is this, I am what I achieve. We define ourselves by the things that we perform really well at. If you're a student, maybe it's grades, maybe it's sports. If you're an adult, maybe if you're an adult, if you're an adult, it, it might be your job or, or the things that you have that make you seem important and, and like you have everything uh, working well for you. Your, your human highlight reel, basically. The second way that this works is this, I am what I can make other people think that I am. 
And I know that sounds a little insidious, but what I'm really getting at is that there are those of us whose identity is a mask that we put up to give people around us the illusion we have it all together. Either way, whether you're finding your identity in the actual things that you achieve, the ways that you perform well, or in and how well you can hide, those identities are based on shame. You know, back in February, during a sermon, I mentioned uh, that Summit is taking part in Fuller Youth Institute's Youth Ministry Innovation Cohort. And what we're talking about today in Through Lament, it's a culmination of that. In preparation for that cohort, Fuller had each of the 31 churches do interviews with a handful of their high school students and ask them about the good, the bad, the in-between of their lives, their relationships, and their faith. And then they asked each, each church, in light of the interviews that we had done and, and our interactions with our students on, on a normal week-to-week, day-to-day level, to write down what we believed the current flawed narrative was that drove our students' lives. What's the, what's the lie that they believe that pushes them the direction that they're headed? During that sermon in February, I showed you some of those flawed narratives, and they said things like this. They said, being is not enough. My curated online identity is more significant than my created God-given identity. I must succeed socially, academically, financially. I must contribute something in order to matter. I'm the only one who struggles like this. I have to be perfect or at least look like it. And that last one is ours. Micah Candeletta Berklin and I, he's the student minister down at Herndon. We, we were the, the leads on, on this cohort team and based on the interviews that we did and the conversations that we had with our students, we believe that the flawed narrative that a student at Summit, a high school student at Summit lives from is I have to be perfect or at least look like it. The students that you interact with here on Sunday are remarkable people. They are absolutely the best. They, they, they are wonderful, wonderful people, but they are under enormous pressure. It's way more than you and I had to deal with a generation ago. And, and increasingly, they see themselves as a product of, of what they do or how well they can hide the ways that they don't measure up. You know, the pressure on how we answer the identity question, it comes from so many different directions. And, and social media, of course, plays a part, but that's just the one real easy place to blame. It, it also comes from other people's expectations of who we are or who we should be. It comes from our own anxieties and fears and expectations of who we should be. What happens is that everything we do, we begin to do it to maintain this fake identity because that's the identity that gets praised. That's the identity that other people approve of. And over time, we lose sight of who we are in order to be deemed worthy and celebrated by our friends, our family, and everyone else in our lives. And look, I'm not saying that performance, success, or working hard are the problem. They're not. It's actually honoring to God to do good work and and to be a good steward with the gifts and talents he's giving you. The problem is when you start to ask those things to do what they can't possibly do. Because if your answer to the question, who am I, relies on being the best at something, what happens when you aren't anymore? What do you do then? I was listening to a podcast recently, and there were these two performer, former professional football players on there, and they were talking about the transition that occurs when you retire. And they quoted a study from the University of Florida that showed that career-ending injuries for athletes are essentially like death. It's like the person themselves dies, but they have to figure out how to go on living. 
And the point that they made was, it is not just professional athletes that experience this. Anyone who, who has an identity that's born out of what they can achieve, anyone who's, whose sense of who they are comes from the wonderful and amazing things that, that they do, that people have praised throughout their entire life, when that stops, when they can no longer perform at that high level, they walk through that same experience. Here's the honest truth about achievement. And no matter what you achieve and no matter how many successes you have, each and every one of them comes with an expiration date. If your identity is based on what you can achieve, you're always chasing the next achievement because each one of them falls short. None of them can bring lasting peace, fulfillment, or joy. And if your answer to that question relies on hiding or keeping up the appearance that you've got everything all uh, together, what happens when you can't do that anymore? It's the same thing. It's a feeling that's essentially like death. And, and the thing about hiding, we, you know, we do it to protect ourselves from rejection, and that makes sense, but it's also exhausting, or at least it is for me. And maybe you guys can guess what it is that I wish I could hide about myself. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's out there for everyone to see, and there's nothing that I can do about it anyway. I'm, I'm going bald. <laughs> and... And I know I should just learn to accept it. Millions and millions and millions of men are bald. It's okay. And, and I should stop feeling ashamed of it. But, but to be balding so rapidly at my young age just feels unfair. <laughs> now, honestly, that's, that's not it. Um, to be fair, I'm not exactly happy that, that this is the hairline that God has chosen uh, to give me. Um, but the thing that I've struggled with my entire life is I was born with only two fingers on my left hand. Uh, that is a result of a medical condition called amniotic band syndrome. I had no idea for most of my life why or how it happened. And it honestly wasn't until Shaquem Griffin from the University of Central Florida went in the NFL draft a couple of years ago and they did some deep dives on, on what had happened to him. It wasn't until then that I realized it actually had a name. When I was born, it didn't have a name. It didn't have a good explanation. So all I knew for the first 34 years of my life was that there was something wrong with me that I desperately, desperately wished wasn't. My fear in all of that, my fear in all of that was that it would become my identity, that the thing that would define me is my hand. I'm a person with a disability that doesn't want to have a disability. True or not, I assume it's the first thing and the thing that people notice most often about me, and I've spent a lot of my life trying to hide this part thing about me that I'm ashamed of. And there are ways that I physically tried to hide it. If you're around long enough, you might notice how, how often my left hand is just in my pocket. And it's not a conscious thing that I do at this point. It's just ingrained in me over, over years and years and years of doing that. But honestly, the bigger way that I tried to hide it is through distraction. And by distraction, I mean achievements and outworking everyone around me. I try to stack up enough accomplishments. I try to stack up enough praise that it drowns out the voice of the shame and the fear that I have about my hand and how other people see it and what that means about who I am. The thing is, no matter how good I get at, at actually hiding my hand and no, and no matter how hard I work, it's never going to be enough. If it was, I wouldn't have spent so much time in my life wondering if I'll ever be more than the fat, crippled kid with glasses and a bad haircut. How often is the story that you tell about who you are an attempt to hide? You know that's not what God wants for you, right? That no shame-based identity can be the identity that God gave you. That can't be the real story of who you are. 
So if we can't achieve it and we can't hide to, to secure our identity, then what is the right answer to the question, who am I? Well, the identity that God gave us is real simple, and you can find the same answer in so many places throughout the Bible. I love the way Paul puts it when he's writing to the church in, in Galatians. He's breaking down for them how justification works. And in the midst of doing that, he, he explains to them who they are and who we are. And you can read along with me in your Bibles in Galatians 4, starting at verse 4. It's also printed in your bulletin. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The identity that God gives us is real simple. It's child of God. An identity that is born of and defined by his grace and his grace alone. And it is perfectly created to meet us in our imperfection. And I get that we're in church and, and we kind of sang about that already. So maybe you already knew the right answer. But the question is, do you, actually, do you actually believe that? Or better yet, do you actually live like it? Because that is a harder and scarier thing to do. Because our fear is if this thing doesn't define us, whether it's our achievement or, or, or whether it's our ability to hide, if that thing doesn't define us, then what will? And we wonder, can I really trust God to answer that question for me? So for the most part, we stay where we are. We, we continue to ask something in our lives to do something for us that it's just not capable of doing. And, and here's the thing. Living like that is a choice. And every choice has consequences. Anxiety, depression, the inability to, to, to rest, uh, feeling like we can't say anything about what we're going through, feeling like an imposter, forgetting who we actually are apart from what we do. These are all consequences of living that way. And then there's the real big unintended consequence of all this. We perpetuate the same lie that we're living under onto the people around us. Because our hiding never only affects just us. When we hide, we tell other people that they have to hide too. Part of the process that we went through with Fuller was to create this new Jesus-centered narrative to point our students towards. And so uh, if our, our original current flawed narrative was, I have to be perfect or at least look like it, the new story that we came up with was, even though you're far from perfect, you are perfectly loved. It's simple, it's true, but it's not easy. I mean, how, how do we get to a place where we can actually believe that? We've got to become people who are willing to strive for and risk honesty rather than people who continue to settle for hiding behind masks. We have to become people that are willing to admit that we're not enough and admit that we're not perfect. And then we've got to, we've got to wade through the instability that's created by letting go of those things. That journey for, for letting go of those intricately constructed masks of achievement and hiding uh, and walking through that, uh, that hard time can actually feel like death. The death of who you were, the, the death of your fake self, and, and that's okay. In fact, it probably should feel like that a little bit because these are deep things that touch the deepest parts of who we are. But I want you to know this, that, that death, it, it comes with a new birth. It comes with a new hope. 
The tool for doing this, it already exists in the practice of, of lament. Lament is crying out to God in, in honesty about the difficulties of life and whether they're internal or external, the things that we're going through. It allows us to peel back our mask and, and honestly wrestle with our thoughts and emotions. It's not just a religious exercise. It's our souls laid bare before God. Lament is this deep and beautiful act of worship where we come before God, broken, sometimes confused, many times in pain, and we wrestle with him. It's a fight of faith. It's a fight to get answers. It's a fight to say, God, what is going on here? And, 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 and here's the thing. Lament might sound like a downer, but in rea- reality, lament is the seedbed of hope. We can find examples of lament throughout scripture. The book of Lamentations weeps over the destruction of Jerusalem. In Isaiah uh, 53.3, it tells us that the Messiah who will come is a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And Jesus was. In the final hours of his life, we see Jesus lamenting, quoting Psalm 22, crying out on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of the over 150 psalms in in the Bible, 40% of them are laments. They're written when things were not good, when faith was difficult, when people were struggling and angry, and, and in them we find raw honesty. And Psalm 13 is a really great example of that. This is also in your bulletins that you can follow along in your Bible. Psalm 13, David writes, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So David, the man that God uh, uh, anointed as, as king of Israel, the man whose relationship with God is so, so deep that the scriptures describe him as a man after God's own heart. He wrote, he wrote this psalm. And and here's the thing. He's not being nice here. He's not pretending everything is okay. He's not using polite, churchy words as he talks to God. He's being real and brutally honest. And that honesty is crucial to lament. What we learn from David's words here in the other Psalms of Lament is that we are safe and free to express whatever we are feeling. Any feelings that we have, even if it's betrayal and abandonment, we can express those things to God. There's no need to deny our present struggles. We also learn that, that, that God must be big enough for our problems and our reactions because he's done so in the past and therefore we can trust that he can bring us through what we're facing. And there's this acronym that breaks down all the possible parts of a lament. It's ACTDAP, that's A-C-T-D-A-P. And here's the basics of how it works. Laments begin with an address. They're not a pointless cry of frustration with no intended receiver. Rather, they're an intentional cry out to God himself. There's a statement of complaint where where the author tells God what's going wrong. There's a statement of trust. The conjunction but plays a huge role in Psalms of Lament. The the honest cry to God is almost always followed with, with with a but statement. But I will trust but I will worship, but I will praise, but I will look to you for my strength. 
Then in the cry of deliverance, there's this recognition that God is the only one who can truly solve the issues at hand. The assurance of the psalmist, it isn't an unfounded wishing. It's, it, it was hope that's rooted in the realization of what God had done for the people of Israel in the past. And then the end goal of lament is to get to a place where we've honestly brought the things that are weighing on our hearts before God. We've wrestled with them until we can trust him. And then in that place of trust, reflecting on God's faithfulness, we worship him. While ACTAPT is a formula, it's important to note that not every psalm has every part. What makes Psalm 13 so, so useful for understanding the structure is that in these six verses, David hits all of these parts. Here's how it breaks down. If you want to see a more detailed look at this, you can check out the Through Lament overview. Uh, it's available right now on our website at summitconnect.org sermons. And you'll also find more information there uh, about what we've been working with in our students in this Through Lament project as well. I also think it's important to note that lament isn't just about identity. Lament is really, really, really broad. There are four types of psalms of lament. They cover this wide range of subject matter. And that's to say nothing of the other laments that we find in the Bible that aren't within the psalms. We chose lament because it's a practice that can give us the tools to uncover the truth within our hearts. Maybe you're wondering what a lament would look like in a more modern context. Here's an awesome example written by my friend Jimmy Koffeltz. Tired and worn, and I'm spiteful, and I'm so angry, and my heart is rotten, and I fall short every day, but you love me. All is well. We chose to lean into lament because it doesn't have to be long and drawn out. It can be, it can be simple and honest because what makes it such a powerful tool for recovering our true grace centered identities is the honesty it requires. That's why we chose it as the means by which our students would explore their identities in the places of hurt and pain in their lives. Because through lament, we learn that God can handle our honesty. In fact, we learn how to be honest about who we are and what we're going through in this process. We learn that we can trust God and find freedom from shame when we trust in his answer to the question, who am I? So the process that we came up with for doing this with our students was this. We started with a two-week teaching series that encompasses all that I've talked about this morning uh, with you guys. And, and then over the next eight weeks, we asked them to look at the world around them and, and within themselves. And, and then we handed them a pen and an index card, and we asked them to be brave about the brokenness that they feel, to name the things that cause them pain, to explore the shame that they feel around who they are. At first, we asked them only to write their laments and just share them with themselves and with God. And then over the course of those eight weeks, we asked them to share with the people in their connect groups. And then anonymously with all of the EDGE students here at Lake Mary and at each one of our campuses. And then ultimately with you guys. And I think often a story gives us a much better explanation. So I want to share this story with you guys this morning. I'm Jake. Uh, I've been going to Summit now for, I guess it's been about seven years. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Asha. We've been married, oh geez, now I'm under the gun. We've been married for eight years. Uh, it's been an awesome eight years. Uh, I am a volunteer with Summit Student Ministries uh, with EDGE. I have a group of 
upperclassmen, high school guys. Right now, in this season of, you know, this semester, we're going through uh, a series on lament. I knew what I was gonna like start my lament journey with, which is my wife and I have been you know, trying to start our family for almost six years now, and we're still in it. The best way to describe lament, I think that uh, the perfect word is, is wrestling. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you're doing. Like you're wrestling with your emotions, you're, you're wrestling with God a little bit, like you're almost trying to convince him, like, hey, God, do something about this. Typically, my response to stress or, you know, tough situations, things I didn't understand, was typically to write them off, get rid of them, not think about them. I was almost um, holding God at arm's length from that standpoint. I feel like God gives us the space and he says in, in his word that, you know, he's, he welcomes that. He welcomes us to, to bring things to him in prayer. When we come towards him, he's going to meet us. What are, you know, the leadership, like the student leadership at Summit, what they encouraged was for the group leaders to share something real. Like when you feel like it's, it's not getting below the surface, like you share something from, from your own life. And I mean, the second one of us shared something real, it, it, the tone changed. And it just snowballs from there. And before you know it, I mean, it didn't take long. It was, we were going from laughing and chaos to some really deep conversation in a span of maybe five minutes. And it was awesome. Your story told truthfully is good news uh, to those who hear it. It's, it's also good news to you. Like when you, when you relay your story truthfully to God, um, that's good news for you. Like authenticity and being genuine with yourself, you know, in your, in your prayers with, you know, with God and bringing those to God and just, you know, genuine authenticity with other people um, is always going to be a win. One thing I feel like I've learned um, is almost just like how God feels about our pain. God is, you know, at the same time, you know, tender and sensitive to our pain, uh, but at the same point, he's not shaken by it. He's not rattled by it. Um, and all along, he knows he's setting things right. Like he knows what's waiting at the end of the tunnel when we're in a relationship with him but in the moment like he he's in it with us like he's in the he's in the muck with us I never really wanted to face the pain and you know, just kind of some of the dark places that have come with infertility but uh, we were asked to, to face the things that that caused us pain that that we were struggling with and as a result we view it from the standpoint that you know there's been so much blessing uh, that God has really laid on Asha and I over these last six years. Lamentation is the seedbed for hope. And I just remember thinking that was such a powerful statement, one that was very confusing at first, uh, but one that has, has gained a lot of meaning as I've, as I've dug in more, uh, that God's gonna meet, he's gonna meet you where you are. He's gonna meet you in whatever hole you find yourself in uh, in that particular moment. Uh, and hope is on the other side. Jake's story, it's, it's a great example of the process of lament. And, 
and it's, it's real, it's honest, it's courageous, and it's a piece of his soul laid bare before God. And as you'll see in a few moments, our students have laid their souls bare before God as well. Lament, it, it, it exposes our pain at the risk of shame, and yet it's through lament that shame is overcome. Lament is about knowing that it is okay to not be okay. It's about realizing that we're never alone in our brokenness. Because even when the things that are broken seem impossible to share, especially with God, he's the one that we most need to share it with because he already knows. And he's the one that can help us through it. You know, it's when you learn that you can be honest with someone that you begin to truly trust them. That is all the more true with God. And when you say what you really feel in prayer, you learn that you can trust God with your whole heart. Your relationship with him, it becomes more real than it will ever be if all you ever use in talking to him are, are nice, polite, churchy words. So our students, over the course of these eight weeks, they sat in, our, in their difficulties and, and they, they wrestled with the struggles of life that shake their identity. They were honest with God about, who, uh, about what they felt. And they opened up themselves with shared their honest stories of who they are, not, not the fake version. Those who were, who were honestly overwhelmed and could barely cope admitted it. Some who had been hurt by someone or something admitted it. They were really honest. They peeled back the mask that they had been wearing. What makes lament the seedbed of hope is that through lament, what begins in pain moves in the direction of hope. And, and that God may not change our circumstances, but he will absolutely change our hearts. We build hope as we learn to trust in God and in others, and that's where you guys come in. Our students have been brave and vulnerable, and we want to honor their bravery. We want to invite you guys to be witnesses to it. But also we want to invite you to be bringers of hope, much like the psalmist looked back on the history of Israel for hope as they wrote their psalms. Our students, they can look back on you guys. They can look back on your story. Because your story is the history of God's faithfulness too. Your story told truthfully is good news when you're brave enough to say that you've been there too. I'm gonna give you all the details of how that'll work in just a minute, but, but I wouldn't ask you or our students or, or anyone else to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. And so while Jimmy is more poetic than I am, um, I figure it's only fair if I share my lament with the struggles that I've faced with identity with you guys. Sometimes I think that people are only nice to me because they feel like they have to be, but that's all it is. Will I ever do enough to actually matter at all to anyone? Why would I matter to anyone else when I barely matter to myself? Here's the thing. I wrote that lament because I have felt that way, some version of that since I was a kid. The struggle that I told you earlier about always seeing myself as the fat, crippled kid with glasses and a bad haircut, what it really led me to believe was, was that, I, that I don't deserve, that I wasn't worthy of real friendship. That people were nice to me out of pity. That the only way that I could matter was, was if I earned it. As if I proved to them that I was more than that by the things that I could do. It's, it's, it, it's hard to think about how someone else could feel that way, but, but for me, it seems natural. 
No matter how hard I tried to hide what I thought was broken about myself, I could never hide it from myself. And that lament, it's, it's as honest as I could be. And, and, and I, I wrote it and I put it up on the lament board with our students' laments. And, and, and every week when we were done, I would go and I would look at the laments and I would look at, at, um, at the interaction that other students had had with them. And as I looked at it, over the course of a few weeks, I realized something. I don't actually feel that way about myself anymore. And look, it's not like my circumstances have changed. I mean, I did get LASIK, but, but I will struggle my entire life with, with my weight. It's, it's genetic and, and also my deep-seated love of tacos. <laughs> the hair's a lost cause. That's genetic too. Thanks, Dad. But the reality is my hand is always going to look this way. But for the first time in my life, it's not how I define myself. And from God's perspective, it never really, it really was. To him, I was always his child. The trust that I have today, it, it's a result of being honest with God, of crying out over the course of years about my pain and wrestling with him about why I was this way. And, and, and over time, I found healing. And for the first time in my life, I actually trust I actually trust that, 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 that people might actually want to be my friend, that I have value. Here's the thing, in lament, sometimes the praise comes later. And, and lament should lead to praise, but most importantly, what it should lead to is people being honest. And so when you see the laments out there today, you'll notice that, that some of them don't have praise at the end because here's the thing, what we wanted our students to do was feel the freedom to not have to say something they didn't yet mean. Our hope is that they will all feel the ability to, to, to praise God after walking through a season of struggling with those things inside of them and being honest about it. But we weren't going to ask them to write something they didn't yet mean. Because sometimes the praise only comes after the fact. So you probably already noticed the big boards out in the lobby, those hold our students' laments, and, and they're arranged in, in, in three different sets. There's one by the gray wall there at the bottom of the ramp, and there's two more when you go around the corner into the coffee bar area. Each of those sets of two boards has all the laments. You only need to see one set of boards. And what you'll see on those boards is an enormous act of courage and vulnerability by our students that deserves to be honored. It was so important to us throughout this through lament process that at EDGE, uh, uh, we, we wanted to create a space where it was safe for our students to share what they were going through, to be honest with themselves and with God and with each other about their laments. And we did that. They shared very honestly. And they trusted me when I asked them to trust you. And so I'm asking you guys to bear the weight of that responsibility as well. Part of creating that safe space was to create some guidelines that governed our sharing. And, and since we're inviting you in here, uh, there are a few guidelines that you should know as well. We're inviting you to support and not judge their situations. It's, it's not an opportunity to gossip or try to figure out who wrote which lament because that sort of thing honestly does more harm than it ever could. Good, and listen, the only lament that I actually know the author of was mine, and I've already showed you that one. So you know all I know. Our job in this, it's not to try to give advice or, or, or fix the problems that our students are facing. Our job is to honor their courage by being their support and by handling their laments with the care and respect that we would want someone to handle our own. Let's pray.
God, thank you for being a God of unending hope. For being a God that sees us where we are and says, you don't have to stay there. Thank you for being a God that offers us grace. Who defines us by grace. Who doesn't look at us and say, I want the best and the brightest and the ones who have it all together. But saying, I want every single one of you. Because you're my child. God, as we walk through the rest of this service, I pray that you would give us eyes to see what you are up to in the lives of our students and in our own lives as well. God, may this be a time of drawing close to you and of, of, of entering in to what you are up to in this place. Thank you so much for hope. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to dismiss this service in a way that's a little bit different from normal. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up and, and take communion. Um, but, but after that, rather than going back to your seats to hear a benediction from the stage, we're, we're going to invite you guys to be the benediction this morning for our students, to bless them by letting them borrow your hope. One of the ways that our students showed each other that they weren't alone were to take these, these stickers that are a thumbprint and, and to place them on the laments that they identified with. And we're going to invite you to do that very same thing. You'll get a strip just like this on your way out the door. And we want you to go and read through the laments on those boards. And then take your stickers and put them on the ones that you can identify with as something that you struggle with now as a way of saying you are not alone in this or as something that, 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 that you have walked through with God that you have found freedom from as a way of saying there is hope that things can and will be different. Like I said, your story, when you tell it truthfully, is good news because it offers our students the hope that they're not alone and that things can change. So as, uh, before we do that, um, or I'm sorry, after that, what we're going to do tonight at EDGE is is, is show our students the ways that you have interacted with those boards. They'll get a chance to look at them again, and instead of seeing just, just the, the thumbprints that their friends and, and, and co-edge students have, have put on there, they'll get to see what it looks like when an entire congregation of people comes around them and says, we are with you, and man, that makes me excited. I appreciate so much that you guys are willing to be a part of that. Thank you for being a congregation and being a part of a church that loves its high school students and its middle school students as well. But tonight, it's high school students so well. Look, take your time with this. Stagger your approach up here to the communion table and, and spread yourselves out among those boards. That way, you'll each have an opportunity to interact with them. Base camp knows that we're doing this, and so if you have, have kids back there, there's no rush for that. Everyone knows what's going on, and, and we're, we're creating the time and the space for you guys to interact uh, as, as, as much as you need and as, as deeply as you'd like. Now, this morning, as we come to the communion table, it is a reminder that the only thing we need to do to belong to the family of God is accept the gift that he has given us through grace. If there's somewhere in your heart that you're asking something to do, something that it can't do, if you have built an identity based on, on your performance or your achievement, if, if you are hiding something now, is your opportunity to lay that at the feet of God and then come to this communion table and hear him say to you, you don't have to be perfect because you're already perfectly loved. 
As you come to the table this morning, take a moment to remember that this very meal, it looks back on the suffering that our Lord endured to offer us that gift. On the night that he was betrayed and led away to suffer and die on our behalf, Jesus gathered his friends around them and he, and he took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. By way of practical instruction, this is the Lord's table and not Summit's table. And so if, if you uh, uh, believe that Jesus has done all he needs to do, all that could possibly be done to reconcile you to God, if you're believing that for the first time this morning, you're welcome at this table. Also, we take communion by intention. And so when you, when you come forward, you'll come forward to one of these three stations and uh, uh, someone will, uh, sorry, the station to my right and your left is a gluten-free station, if that's helpful for you. And you'll take a piece of bread from the basket. And the person there will say, the body of Christ broken for you. And you'll dip it in the cup and they'll say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And they'll say these things because they're true. And from there, please make your way out to our students' laments and, and interact with those. So as the band begins to play, take a moment to prepare your heart and then come forward as you're ready.